Amen. You may be seated. And we're turning in the Scriptures this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians. And we're going to read from verse 17 down to the end of verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And commend. Lest the cross of Christ need of not for the preaching of the cross perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of His precious Word this evening. Let us unite together in prayer and let's seek the Lord as we come and gather and worship Him tonight. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we give Thee evening that we can come to Thee. We can... Tonight, O oh God, thank Thee for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, of the glory of God. that we have to proclaim for the glory of that of Christ. Gather around thy word, we pray that thou would meet with us. Of our God and Father, may thy word be applied to us by thy spirit.
uh, the Reverend Hamilton, uh, there in Lehigh Valley in the Well, seek thy face, and we ministry and whose fourth day by day that that would. to bless thy to labor there through the vacant pulpits we ask and may uh, we know uh, thy abundance of blessing this year as we seek to serve thee and serve Thee together. We pray, Father, that uh, we would rejoice in Thee this evening, that as we turn to Thy Word, that Thou would speak to our hearts, that we would be convicted of our sin, and that, Father, we would, uh, by Thy grace, put to death the uh, deeds of uh, that we would desire that closer walk with Thee, that we would desire the working of Thy Spirit in our lives to uh, flee sin, uh, to avoid sin, uh, to not be uh, but to uh, live righteously, uh, bearing testimony to our Savior and bringing glory to thy name. And so, Father, we pray tonight that thou would be with us. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. To the hymn 300. 397, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. 397, we'll stand.
may be seated. Returning again in the Word of God this evening to Acts chapter 2, the Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to break into this passage at verse 11. The disciples had met in the upper room after the ascension of the Savior. They were praying for the And at the commencement of chapter 2, that promise came, and the Spirit of God gave them the gift of tongues. They spoke in the languages of those who were gathered there in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. And they heard these men speak in their own tongues. And then Peter came and preached the Word of God to them. And so we break in at verse 11, and the Word of God says, and there is a list of various cities and peoples that were there in Jerusalem, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and to all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption." Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy 
countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto him, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of His precious and inerrant truth this evening. We do extend a welcome again to each one gathered in, uh, those visiting with us and those online, and we trust the Lord's blessings as we gather in His house around His Word this evening. Do you remember the various meetings throughout uh, the week? Tomorrow night at 6 p.m. we have our session meeting, uh, followed by our board meeting at 7 p.m., and so uh, we do remind our elders and our deacons of uh, those two meetings. On Wednesday, there is the prayer meeting and Bible study in the prayer room downstairs and on Zoom at 7.30 p.m. And then on Saturday, uh, we have our men's prayer breakfast at 8 a.m. We welcome all men uh, to come, and we'll consider the Word of God uh, for a short time. We'll pray, and then we'll have fellowship over breakfast together. Uh, so do uh, remember that. And after the men's prayer breakfast, there is some work to be done uh, in the church and some preparation uh, for the new carpet. Uh, as you can see uh, today, uh, there has been work ongoing this past week in preparation for the 22nd of January uh, when our carpet installers will be on site and uh, they will work that week on installing the new carpet. Uh, so we do thank uh, those who came throughout the week and yesterday as well uh, to help uh, to uh, take up the carpet the baseboards to take the carpet away and uh, to also uh, move various items of furniture. The pews have all been moved and put back and will have to be moved again. And the various uh, boxes of carpet tiles uh, were brought into the church uh, some weeks ago. Uh, they were all moved to get the carpet that was underneath them up. And so we do thank each one for their help. And there will be a short time on Saturday where we need a little bit more help to get things 
ready for Monday morning. So do uh, remember that. And then our services next Lord's Day, 10.30 in the morning is our morning worship, 5.30 is our prayer meeting, 6 p.m. our evening worship. And of course, the Sunday school has recommenced. It's there at 9.30 a.m. for the children downstairs and for the adults here in the main part of the church. We'll be continuing our series in church history next Lord's Day morning at the adult Sunday school. These are all the announcements, the subject uh, to the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn number uh, 36. Uh, the hymn number 36, all heal the power of Jesus' name. And we'll remain seated while our tithes and offerings for the Lord's work are received. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for our tithes and these tithes and these offerings. We pray, Lord, that you bless it to be used wisely for the ministry of the church and uh, for our missionaries and all the various needs of the church, dear Lord. We pray now that you help us to understand your word and obey them and bless our pastor as he preach. In Jesus' name. We'll stand to sing verse 3 and verse 4 of this hymn, please.
verse 5 as well. may be seated. We're going to turn again in the Word of God to Acts chapter 2. Chapter 2, and when I sat down there and brought up my sermon and stood back up, you know, and I and somehow the pages had changed to a different hymn. And I thought, something's not right here, but I see four verses, so we'll sing the last two. At uh, the wrong words. Uh, but uh, we'll turn to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. And I want to draw your attention to verse 11. Verse 11, being uh, the opening words we could say that speak to us about what is happening here at the day of Pentecost. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And, of course, moving into this passage then, Peter preaches. And it is the thought of preaching we have here this evening, and the thought of preaching we will be considering. And what is preaching? It is declaring uh, the wonderful works of God, the works that He has done uh, for sinners, uh, the works that He can do for those uh, who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so let us unite together in prayer this evening. And let us seek the Lord. <clears throat> Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, and we thank Thee tonight we can come to Thy Word. And we have <clears throat> the privilege this evening of considering truth. And we pray that as we turn to it, that Thou would bless us, and that Thou would apply Thy Word to our hearts. Father, Thou knowest our hearts. Uh, thou knowest those that are outside of the kingdom of God. And thou knowest those, Father, who are cold at heart, who need that word from thee to convict their souls. And we pray that thou would speak and move by thy Spirit. Encourage us as thy people, we pray. And may our hearts and may our priorities be set aright, we pray, and that we would see the great value and the importance and the command that we have regarding the preaching of the Word of God. And Father, so we pray this evening, we would know Thy help, we would know Thy power, we would know Thy grace, and we would know, Father, Thy working. In souls this night, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Some years ago, I received a text message that simply said, don't forget to do something foolish at every opportunity. 
Don't forget to do something foolish at every opportunity. And before you think I was being encouraged uh, to be a fool and to make sure I did something foolish every day, uh, they had in brackets below uh, that phrase, see 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we have the Apostle Paul. He is setting out the importance of preaching uh, to the church at Corinth. And there in verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And the world sees preaching as Paul defined it as foolish exercise. And when we think of preaching, of videos online of preaching, when we think of men preaching, in this world, what is the reaction of those who are outside of Christ? They think it's foolish. They think it's silly. They think there is whatsoever, but yet the Lord says, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And this foolish exercise of man is God's ordained means for the spreading of His precious gospel truths. When we think of sermons, uh, we can think of some of the most famous sermons that have been preached on this continent. And one of them was called Sinners in the, hang in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. And in that sermon, Edwards said, O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Tis a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath, that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And he says, and you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own, nothing that you ever have done Nothing you can do to induce God to spur you but one moment. A well-known sermon was preached many, many years ago and throughout the history of the church. We often come across records of great sermons that have been preached and the blessing of God upon such sermons. But in church history, there has not been a sermon preached by a man that has made perhaps more impact than the one that is recorded here in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people were blinded by sin and were gloriously saved after the Spirit of God moved and applied His Word. A great and wonderful change had been taken a place in the lives of the apostles and in the life of Peter. Peter had denied his Lord, but now he stands in front of a multitude knowing the boldness of the Holy Ghost to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this indeed was the work of God. And our reading tonight in Acts chapter 2 is strategically important. Why do I say that? Well, it is the first recorded 
sermon we have of the New Testament church. It is the first sermon recorded in the book of Acts. First sermons or even new preaching experiences always have memories for certain individuals. I remember preaching for the very first time and I was almost roped into it. And as I stood to preach or before I was going to preach, it was in a care home many years ago and I, I said, well, all the young people from our church who were there, keep them behind me. So I don't have to look at all these faces I've known uh, for uh, quite some time. And they won't put me off. If they're behind me, I can pretend easily they're not there. I wasn't a stranger to public speaking, uh, but I was a stranger to preaching. And so uh, I didn't want their faces in front of me. And so what happened, uh, the minister made sure they were all sitting in front of me. And I had to preach looking at their faces and pretending that they weren't there. It was a nerve-wracking experience. Many have preached their very first sermon. They've lasted but for a few minutes. But then God has later called them uh, to be great preachers of his truth. Spurgeon's College had a tradition of giving students a text on the spot and having them preach it to Spurgeon and the college staff. One day a student was given the subject of Zacchaeus, and he stood up before his audience and he said, Zacchaeus was of little stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. Zacchaeus came down, and so will I. And he sat down with those remarks. And so when we think of preaching, and the first time preaching, there can often be humorous remarks and humorous memories. But when we think of Acts chapter 2, this very first sermon, there's no humor here. No humor here. We find the Apostle Peter preaching. And he's standing up and he's setting forth the word of God. He's preaching the gospel. The gospel of Christ that makes the difference between hell and between heaven for those who were dead in their sins. Peter has been divinely ordained to preach this message. And to set forth the truth of the gospel of Christ. And this sermon sets forth the pattern of apostolic preaching, a pattern that passes down to us today, a pattern that emphasizes to us that preaching is essential, that preaching is central, and we ought never to forget that. Here in Acts chapter 2, the apostles engaged in what many today say is just mere foolishness, standing up, preaching, But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. The world will call it foolishness. But in Acts chapter 2, we see the power of God. And so there is an emphasis here that God himself places on preaching. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that. That's not to be ignored. Not to be ignored. And when we think of the importance of preaching, there are many today, and they will move aside from preaching. Preaching doesn't work anymore. The world says it's foolishness. And well, we tend to agree. And we need other means. And we need something to draw individuals into the house of God. Something other than preaching. But yet, the New Testament church was a church that was built on preaching. We ought not to downgrade it. We ought not to downgrade it. 
The emphasis here in Acts 2 is on a specific method used by God and a method that has continued to be used by God throughout the New Testament, the preaching of his word. And so I want us to consider this evening blessed foolishness at Pentecost. Blessed foolishness at Pentecost. I'm thinking of that foolishness being the preaching of the gospel. Well, preaching needs prayer, first of all. Preaching needs prayer. If you turn back to Acts chapter 1 and the verse number 8, we find the Lord Jesus Christ and he is directing his apostles and his disciples. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They were to be witnesses for the Lord. And what did that involve? Heralding the word of God. Preaching the truth of God. Standing and going to places where they'd never been before. Standing in front of multitudes that they knew very little about and preaching the word of God. Going to places and meeting individuals who were antagonistic and hated the gospel of Christ. And they would have to preach. And they prepared for this and for the promise coming upon them and the receiving of this power in Acts 1 verse 14 by going to the upper room. And verse 14 tells us these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And so they prayed, and they set themselves to pray for the promise of the Father and for the witnessing that would take place. And prayer is important. When we think of Pentecost, it didn't just happen. There was prayer. There was a preparation of the heart, a preparation of the apostles to hear and to preach the word of God. The apostle Paul emphasized prayer on many occasions. He prayed time and time again in the book of Acts and in the epistles. He instructs the church of Christ to pray, as we saw in our week of prayer last week, to pray without ceasing, to pray constantly, to pray that the word of God may have free course and be glorified. He told the church of the Thessalonians, and so he emphasized the importance of prayer and the preaching of the word of God. Pray that the word of God may have free course, that it may be glorified, that it would flow as it were, as we said, I think it was last week, the river flowing down the mountain stream, joining other streams, becoming a river, flowing to the ocean. That's what's in view. The word of God would have free course. It would not meet any hindrances as it is preached and as the servants of God minister it, that it would have free course and be glorified. And we are to pray. We're to pray for that. We're to pray for the preachers of the word of God. We're to pray for the preaching of the word of God. That's why we have a prayer meeting before this service. That's why when we do not have our adult Sunday school on, we meet downstairs in the mornings to pray to pray specifically for the preaching of the Word of God. So, here in Pentecost, the apostolic example here was prayer before the blessing of the Lord through the preaching of His Word. When we think of the importance of preaching, and we'll see that in a moment, there is a great need for us to pray. There's a lesson for us then to prepare a right for worship. 
to pray before the word of God. George Swinnick, the great Puritan preacher, said, Suppose thou wert a person of great quality and estate, and the king should send thee word that he would dine with thee tomorrow. What preparation wouldst thou make for his entertainment? Would not thy first work be to cleanse thy house by causing the dust to be swept out? I don't think we swept all the dust uh, out of the church with lifting the carpet. Uh, there still is a little bit. I bent earlier to put a plug into a socket and I stood up and there was dust uh, on my shoes and dust on, uh, my, uh, on my pants. And so it is dusty, but we will clean the dust. And when we invite those round and if the king was coming, as Swinnick says, the dust would be swept away. It would be cleaned. The floors would be washed. Everything would be neat and it would be clean. We would bring out the richest carpets. We would bring out the best plate, as he says. And then he said, I tell thee that the great king of all the world doth give thee notice in his word that on such a day, being the Sabbath, the Lord's day, he intends to sup with thee. And he says, now, friend, what preparation will thou make to testify thy respect to this blessed, this blessed king? Canst thou beforehand do less and sweep out the dust of sin and wash the room of thine heart clean, adorn it with the best furniture? Truly, unless this be done, Christ will not think himself welcome. And he speaks about the great profit of making sure, the great benefit of making sure that we are prepared to come to the house of God. We are prepared to worship the Lord. We are prepared in this context to hear the preaching of his word, that we prayed for the preacher, that we prayed for the service, that we prayed for God to speak to our hearts because of the importance of hearing the preaching of the word of God. Preaching needs prayer, but preaching needs priority as well. Preaching needs priority. The book of Acts is a book of preaching. That is set out in Acts chapter 2, and what did the apostles do when the Spirit of God came upon them? They preached. They preached. I believe the sermon here in Acts chapter 2 is a summary of what Peter preached. And the implication is there were other preachers. Verse 11, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And this was taking place before Peter stood and preached. So there was a day of preaching uh, that we can speculate upon in this chapter. And Peter preached the word of God, and this was a summary. It takes us just a few minutes to read it, uh, but yet would he not have expanded the truth? Would more not have been said? And if we look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, we see that. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And so there was a thrust and a purpose in his preaching, but there was a priority placed here. He took the time and he preached and he expounded the truth of God because it was a priority. In Acts 4 and the verse 2, Peter and John received the displeasure of the Jewish officials because they preached Christ. Verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They preached. There was a priority placed on preaching. And when they were later told in verse 18 not to preach or teach, speak or all or teach in the name of Jesus, what happened? Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
And they went back to the church and prayed and prayed for boldness and confidence to keep on preaching. Such was the priority they placed upon it. In Acts 9 and the verse number 20, Saul of Tarshish, the apostle Paul, was converted. And it says, In straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And so all the way through the book of Acts, we see that the early church continued to preach the gospel of Christ. And preaching had a significant role in the formation of the early church. And this emphasis can be traced back not only to the command of Christ to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, the Great Commission, but to the practice of Christ himself in the gospels. In Matthew 7 or Matthew 4, verse 17, the Savior said, From that, or the Word of God says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1 tells us, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, and what did he do? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In Mark 1 and 15, and saying the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And so the Savior's message focused upon repentance. It focused upon the need for individuals to believe the gospel of Christ and to trust in him as their Savior. And the example and the instruction of Christ was to preach and herald the great news of the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul emphasizes this. Preach. Preach the truth. Preach the cross of Christ. It is foolishness to the world, but to those who believe, it is the power of God. It is despised by the world. And men will mock and laugh. But we need to remember God has appointed this. God has appointed preaching. And Acts chapter 2 gives us that clear reminder that preaching is to be central. God blessed preaching. God's hand is upon this means. And as believers, we need to return to biblical authority. God has appointed preaching. And therefore, what do we do as the church of Christ? We must preach. We must preach. And preaching has been an essential part of the worship of the Reformed Church. The Reformation spread through the preaching of Luther and Calvin and others. The Puritans were preachers. Today, thousands of volumes contain their sermons. And we can move to the Great, Awak the Great Awakening and George Whitfield and others. There were sermons that were preached. When we think of Spurgeon in London and his sermons going out all across the world, it was preaching, preaching. I read a book several years ago and I picked up a copy in Australia and read it again uh, when I ministered there for a year. It was about Thomas Spurgeon, the son of C.H. Spurgeon. And he spent some time in Australia due to ill health and the effects of, of London and pollution, etc. He came to Australia and spent some time traveling around and going to uh, the ranches in the outback uh, in the middle of nowhere. You know, one family, one big farm, as it were. Plenty of hands helping, uh, but no church or town nearby. And so sometimes in those places, being his father's son, he was asked to preach. And he spoke of one particular place he went into, and the father of the home Every Lord's Day sat the family down and the help on the farm 
the workers, they came in as well, and he took a book off the fireplace, and he opened it, and he read a sermon from Spurgeon. Spurgeon's sermons in the 1800s had went from London and had been printed in volumes and had found its way to Australia, I believe. I think they were printed in Australia itself. And this man had got copies. And because there was no church, no pastor, no preacher, Spurgeon was the preacher. A little bit like today, if we were somewhere and there was no church, we'd go on the internet and listen to a sermon. In those days, they, listened, they read a sermon of Charles Spurgeon. And so, uh, Thomas went there and he preached. But the usual practice was the sermons that had been printed unpublished. We have sermon audio today. What was the vision behind that? To have sermons preaching, the importance of preaching, to store up and to archive sermons and preaching for the good of the Christian church, for sinners to hear. And so Paul lays it out in 1 Corinthians 1, the importance of preaching. He emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He preached as God gave him his Spirit and his help. Preaching was the great priority. And coming back to Acts chapter 2, we see that priority. Peter, here in the day of Pentecost, he didn't sing, he didn't dance, he didn't do any drama, he didn't show any silly videos, he preached the truth of God. He explained to the multitude who Jesus Christ is. He set him forth. He went straight to the point. He dealt uh, with the Savior who had been promised. Psalm 16 is the psalm uh, that we see mentioned. Verse 27 and those verses around it. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And Peter says that was not David. David was speaking of Christ. Jesus who was crucified who died and rose again. There, verse 40, as we've said, he exhorts them, save yourselves from this untoward generation. There's a priority placed upon preaching because of the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In church today, we've many means of spreading the truth. We sing the truth. We have Sunday school and children's meetings and youth camps across many churches, all sorts of things. But when the church of Christ comes together on the Lord's day to worship, there's a centrality regarding the preaching of the word. And nothing should take away from that. Nothing should take away from the centrality of the preaching of the word of God. I remember hearing about a particular movement uh, some years ago and one of its leading members said that the reason I travel with a gifted musical team is that they are able to communicate the gospel much more effectively than I could with mere words. In other words, the music was better than his preaching. But he said you can communicate the gospel more effectively 
through song than through preaching. One modern preacher said, God didn't give us a music video. He gave us a book. And he gave us a book to preach from. The same individual said that most churches rely heavily on the written word. And then they wonder why so few people find the Christian faith to be relevant. He didn't see the centrality of preaching. The importance of holding close to the word of God. It was not a mental thing or a doctrinal thing. But he's saying it's psychological, it's emotional. There's some sort of mystic about it. Getting into the music. But yet, we're to be focused upon the Word of God and the preaching. Here in Acts chapter 2, we see preaching. We see preaching. Oh, that we would desire to put preaching first, that in our families, that we would put preaching first, that we would set the example to the younger generation of the importance of hearing God's Word preached when many Today, look at all the entertainment of this world and sitting for hours entertaining ourselves and then preaching perhaps is nothing like the entertainment. How difficult it can be then to sit and listen. But yet, there's to be a priority placed upon it. A priority placed upon it. And why is that? Well, it's foolishness. Verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God uses preaching. Preaching has purpose, thirdly. Preaching needs purpose. And the purpose in Acts chapter 2 was simple. Peter answered the query. He told them about Christ and he requested a response. We see that verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent. We considered repentance last week. There's to be a response to preaching. How do we respond to preaching? Do we listen to the truths? Do we desire to learn? Do we desire God to challenge our hearts? As we come to his house, do we want him to speak to us? Often we can think, if we go about our daily business, we don't want to speak to that individual or we don't want to speak to somebody else. And that person could be frustrating and we try to avoid them. Yet when it comes to preaching, there's something we can't avoid. It's dealing with the Word of God. We shouldn't come in just to show our faces. We should come in desiring to hear the Word of God. Why? Because it is important to us. And it is important to us from a gospel perspective and from the perspective of our sanctification. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so the Scriptures, the Scriptures, as we see in Acts 2, make us wise unto salvation. They point to Christ. They point to the Savior. They point the sinner to the Lamb of God who is the one who can see from preaching does that. When we think of 2 Timothy 3, the scriptures have a profit to us. They're helpful. That's what the original Greek means. They are of a service to us. They're advantageous to us for doctrine, for our system of belief, 
for instruction in righteousness and godliness, to reprove us, to convict us of sin, to correct us. And of course, as the Word of God is preached, there is that purpose as we see there. The purpose of preaching flows from the priority of preaching. There is a priority in preaching because of the great purpose of preaching. To set forth to our souls the Word of God. The Word of God. We turn to Acts chapter 5. And the verse 42, it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And the word preach here is the Greek word in the original that we get the word evangelize from. It means to declare good news. The greatest news this world can hear that there is a Savior. That is one of the purposes of preaching. Declaring good news. Declaring God's truth to his people, but declaring God's truth to those who are in their sins. And preaching declares the word of God. Peter's sermon was a sermon that declared the truth of God. It was a sermon that was centered upon the Bible. He did not preach any new truth. He preached Christ. He based the content on the Old Testament scriptures And when we think of the apostles praying in the upper room, the logical suggestion is they were also reading and studying the scriptures together as they would embark upon the Great Commission. Luke 24 tells us that before the Savior ascended, he spoke of the Old Testament scriptures as containing all things about himself. And so if we believe in the authority of Scripture and the truth of Scripture, all of our preaching will be centered, all of our witnessing will be centered upon the Bible. We cannot teach about God outside of that biblical foundation of His Word because that's how He has revealed Himself to us. And so, as the apostles here in Acts 2, they preached the Word of God. They brought in the Old Testament scriptures. It was founded upon the Old Testament scriptures. We have words from Joel. We have words from the Psalms as well. And we won't go into details regarding the quotations that were used uh, for the sake of time. But this sermon was biblical. It was based on the scriptures. We need to hear biblical sermons. Sermons that expound not man's ideas, but biblical sermons. I remember one time, and I've maybe said this before, hearing a Presbyterian moderator back in Northern Ireland, and he came to the school assembly. Normally when uh, there was a prize giving, I wasn't there, but on this particular occasion I got a prize. And so I thought I should show up and get the prize. And normally when it came to uh, days that uh, there was a prize giving or something, and it wasn't school, I in my youth, didn't feel so well. Uh, But on that day, I went and I got my prize. And uh, I needed a reward for what I listened to uh, because uh, the moderator got up. There was 600 pupils there, and there was teachers and parents and a great mixture from society. And he spoke, and the story he told was rubbish. There There was nonsense to it. Uh, absolutely no point uh, to what he had to say. And then he sat down. And it was all about, I think it was freedom. Uh, Getting the opportunity to be free and to do things. 
But where is our freedom found? Ultimately, it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he missed that. He missed that completely. Completely missed the point. It was a school that was not a secular school. If you went into a school here and preached the gospel, there would be consequences. But the school was founded upon Christian principles. It wasn't a Christian school. It was a state school. But yet an assembly uh, every day we, we sang hymns. We had a reading of scripture. We had a devotion time and time again. There was those from an evangelical perspective who came in to do assemblies and to do uh, classes with us. And so uh, the, the gospel and Christianity was welcomed into the school. And so uh, the truth of the gospel uh, could be far, easily, far more easily presented than in many schools we see today. But the opportunity was absolutely missed. It was more of a little talk than any form of spreading the gospel of Christ. It wasn't centered upon the Savior. And this is what we see in Acts 2. If a sermon is biblical, if the Bible and the Bible itself is focused upon Christ, then the sermon is centered upon the Savior. And it is imperative that Christ is preached. He is the source of life. He is the source of life. He is the one whom is preached here. And Peter draws attention to Jesus who was slain. Jesus who rose again. Jesus to whom they must look to for repentance. And the teaching of Christ and knowing who Christ is, is essential. It's essential. This sermon was also preached in a fearless manner. Christ had just recently been put to death. It was a Jewish feast. In the city, Christ had been crucified. Jerusalem was not sympathetic to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And so in the great purpose of preaching here, we find Peter standing up and he preached. He was not afraid because he knew the truth. And dear believer, we can look at this world and you can be afraid to witness for Christ. Afraid to say something for the Savior. Afraid to tell somebody, well, I'm busy today because I'm going to church to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I'm busy because I'm a Christian. I can't go to that place with you because I'm a Christian and my conscience will not let me go. When it comes to speaking the truth of Christ, Whatever form it may take, we can learn from the fearlessness of the apostles. As Paul said, he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Preaching wasn't foolishness to him. Is preaching foolishness to you tonight? Is it something that you feel you don't need, something this world doesn't need? The word of God says differently. The word of God shows differently. May we have a fearless attitude to the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And then we find, fourthly and finally, the power of preaching. The power of preaching. Peter preached, and there was power. There was power before the preaching. The Spirit of God came down, and there was a great variety of nationalities here. They were Jews, but we see in verse 6, every man heard them speak in his own language. They spoke languages. It's a miracle. 
that testified to the truth of the message. The miracles of the Savior gave evidence and gave proof that he was who he said he was. Healing the blind. He could make the blind to see, the spiritually blind to see. Here when the gift of tongues was given, it was evidence that what Peter was saying and what the apostles preached was indeed the power of God and indeed the truth of the gospel of Christ. And then after the sermon, there was power as well because they asked the question, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. And verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This reminds us again of what Paul said. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. There was power in those days to the preaching of the word. May we seek the Lord that he would give power today to the preaching of his word, that sinners would flee from their sin, that they would place their faith and their trust in the Savior. Oh, the power of preaching, the power that God gives, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Don't look upon preaching as something that is foolish. Look at the scriptural record, the record of church history, but the scriptural record as well, and you see the power of God and how he moved and how he saved those for whom Christ died. Is preaching foolish to you? Have you believed that great message, that great purpose of preaching? Have you believed in what Peter is saying here and what Paul is saying? The cross of Christ, believing in what Christ has accomplished, believing in Christ's sacrifice. It's the great purpose of preaching and setting forth Christ being believed by you. When we think of Acts 2, 3,000 people believed. 3,000 people trusted Christ. But what about you tonight? Do you have that faith? Do you have that faith in him that your sins are forgiven? Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the forgiveness, the removal of sins. He preached a message of repentance. And that message of repentance needs to be believed. Sin needs to be dealt with. That's a great purpose he stood and preached. Oh, that you would tonight not see preaching as foolishness, but see it as the power of God containing that message that you believe and a message that you trust. May the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in closing to the hymn 319. The hymn 319. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would your evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. 319, we'll stand as we sing, please.
pray. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we pray that we would please and that great emphasis upon preaching, and that in our lives as thy people, we would not forsake the preaching of thy word, but we would love it and desire it. And, O oh God, we look to thee that those outside of Christ would heed the message of preaching, and by thy grace, and through the power of thy Spirit, turn from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that would be with us this week. Give us opportunities to bear witness for thee, to live for thee, to glorify thy name. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God, the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.